In every age, God raises people up to speak the truth to the world in a way that is currently relevant. Though our opinions should not be held with the same esteem as the biblical canon, we still carry the hope of Christ to the world. Our society has forgotten what it means to follow Christ. The bright lights of truth seekers are barely visible in the dim twilight of a post-Judeo-Christian society. We all see the darkness coming. All we can hope is to share the light that he has entrusted to us. This is Modern Apocrypha. Hey, I'm Jared. And I'm Greg. And this is Modern Apocrypha. Welcome. So, I understand today you wanted to talk about... Yeah, I came across a, full, a cool factoid uh, here last week, and I really wanted to uh, tie it into, I don't know, a little bit of the supernatural about where we're from and um, have a little bit of fun with it. So today we're talking about America. Um, it's a broad topic because it's not just one thing. Um, America as a country, as a continent, as a Western ideal, as a uh, history, um, and just sort of, it's a, a big word that's really loaded and uh, comes from a lot of places. We're both Americans, so we're, we're vested, let's put that out there. We obviously think plenty, plenty good things about ourselves as well as the, the negatives out there. Sure. Oh, I, the, the thing that had come across, I've, I've got this thing in general about name meanings, um, without, uh, throwing my, my children under the bus, my, my child's name is a non-standard name, but means circle of God. And if you were to go through almost everybody's name comes from a word, which means something else. Uh, Gregory is, uh, uh, calm and happy. Is it not? I don't actually know. I don't pay much attention to such things. Michael means of God. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 so many of our words come from word meanings. So looking up America, I just had the thought, what's America mean? What's the uh, name meaning of America? So I came to find out that uh, in good uh, detail that America was first discovered by Amerigo Vespucci, the Italian explorer who set forth then uh the then revolutionary concept that the lands that Christopher Columbus sailed in 1482 were part of a separate continent. A map created in 1507 by Martin Waldsee Mueller was the first to, uh, to depict the new continent with the name America with a Latinized version, version of Medigo. So, you know, so, yeah. Um, interestingly enough, Christopher Columbus didn't actually discover the mainland of America. That as I understand it, was Amerigo Vespucci who found the mainland. Columbus found various islands off the coast, but he never actually wound up in the mainland of America. I understood that as well. And I believe that he did some time down, down in South America as well. It was really profitable, extremely profitable for people to do that um, at the time. So if you do dig in uh, the next layer down, what would be the name meaning of, um, of Amerigo, America, America? What is the name meaning of our country? I don't know. Tell me. So if you go uh, just to any old uh, uh, name uh, defining site, uh, I have one here. With Italian roots, it's a boy's name, which uh, means America, of course, and home ruler, stemming from the Germanic name 
Almaric, Amerigo is a combination of the words work and rule or power. So the rules or, or powers of work is kind of how I took that. Um, I, I tried to have a discussion with you offline about this, about how people look at the word uh, logos and logos is a charged word. It can be little L logos, big L logos, and there's sort yeah. of a, a lot of, of meaning packed into that word. If you were to think of a word like that in logos, meaning something intrinsically, America intrinsically means something like merit through work or merit of work or is that coming through? Yeah. Yeah. I'm understanding. It's interesting. I, so we live in, we live in the merit of work. Well, and, and, you know, when you take that to a sort of a a global scale, we are the country that has sort of defined what it means to work hard for a very long time and to be, what would you call it? uncorrupt, not corrupt. You know, there, there are a lot of, uh, there is an Asian work ethic, but a lot of the countries in Asia are also incredibly corrupt where up until recently, America had not been particularly corrupt. It was sort of, we valued honesty and truth and corruption was actually frowned on by the culture, which is what makes it well, and I wouldn't just leave it at that. I would back that up. I would say that uh, you could look um, at uh, the history of America. Um, oh, we should find the article and post it along uh, with this uh, with this post when we put it up. Sure. But uh, the there have been plenty of articles that that explain the reasons and how you might look at what people say being a vector to what they find important. Does that make sense? So even though you may not uh, hold to something. And therefore, you're lying about saying something is, is the way it is. If you hold that to be important and good, right? Um, I I kind of go back so, to... So you're talking about essentially hypocrisy here, where hypocrisy is saying one thing and doing another thing, when the reality is nobody lives up to the ideals that they hold. Instead, we just do our best. When you actually believe something and try to live it, that actually has meaning. But it also means something what you're doing instead of what you say. Also that, but what I'm pointing at as a historical reference point for people to be able to prove that people felt this way and thought this way mm-hmm. um, in the, uh, the America uh, history, you can look at what were uh, advertising campaigns. What did people say that they thought people wanted to hear? And that's pretty obvious. If you sure. are trying to uh, win a political battle, if you're trying to, uh, um, Oh gosh, sell a product if you're trying to whatever it is you're trying to convince people to do, yeah. Indeed. You can look at the things that they say about their candidate or whatnot as things that the people thought were good things at the time. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. So what were some of the most famous uh early American uh, myths that George Washington never told a lie, that um he prayed uh fervently, right? That he um was a, a a great military leader. These you know these things that just weren't true. <laughs> I mean, I can't actually speak to how fervently he prayed. I'm not going there. Well, he and- was not a great military leader. He was not uh, obviously he was human, so he of course was not a, a never liar. Sure. Now I I know there are examples of things he did as a military leader that were exemplary, but I know there are some that like were what? not so. Well. Um, 
Oh, just for example, the I know it was kind of out of desperation, but the whole crossing the Delaware River to take the the one fort, that was actually kind of an impressive thing. And then I remember reading um, a story one time about military discipline and how in order to enforce discipline, he did not he did not put that off on someone else. He actually carried it out himself. He had the fortitude to actually do what had to be done to maintain discipline, even when it came to executing people. Historically, I would say that the things that he is most notable for is winning two of seven or a less than 50% win rate sure. of battles. Yeah. And at the end of the war, he handed over the reins of power to the people. Well, he and was not going to be a military dictator. That, I would say, is the most the most amazing thing he did by far was not trying to hang on to power. That's incredibly he, unusual, for sure. He fought of the people for the people and gave it back to the people. That was what right. was unusual. Right. That's absolutely true. As far as, as far as being a great military leader, probably not it, when it, when you're comparing him to other people. No, I don't think so. But on the other hand, you have to realize that, that the forces he was using to fight his battles weren't exactly the top of the line forces either. They were fighting against the then, you know, the then world superpower Britain, which was like that they had a professional army and they were the cream of the crop. And he was using this sort of ragtag group of colonials to, to try to oppose them. So is it terribly surprising that he wasn't, you know, successful in more battles? Not terribly. Not terribly. Not terribly. He just had uh, a huge support. We had the uh, the heart behind us, for sure, not the technology. Sure. Well, and and there's the whole thing that people keep discovering in Afghanistan, which is when the natives are not on your side there isn't a whole heck of a lot you can do past a certain point unless you're actually willing to either kill them all or totally disrupt and break up their society. And it's quite something um, just in the, the history factoids that are out there. If you look at the first people to have uh, arrived in North America, they were what would have been Vikings. They stayed for less than a decade complaining about the natives, which they called Skrelings, which are nasty people. Interesting. Yep, they came, they could have stayed, they said, we don't like these people, and they left. <laughs> you know, well, and then there's the fact that we don't actually know who the who the people who lived in America 2,000 years ago were. The Native Americans, well, okay, so there are Native Americans, as we think of them today, and these are tribes of hunter-gatherers, but there was another group of people who lived in the U.S. before that who were great builders of amazing cities and such. And we still see things like the Serpent Mound. Or if you if you look at aerial photographs... Is the Serpent Mound the one that's up in uh, North, America, North America, up in the Canada, uh, Canada no. uh, American border? No, it's, it's in Ohio, I think. I um, see. The one that's up there that's on the border, it's touching the ocean near the Canada-America border was Vikings of the modern era. The right, right. I know that. What I'm talking about is the people who lived in America before what we call Native Americans. They built amazing, crazy things, and then they kind of died off, and they were replaced by the Native Americans. And when you go and you talk to the people who 
well, when you when you look at the historical records of the people who talked to Native Americans and asked, how did you build this stuff? They're like, well, we didn't do that. That was there when we got here. The, the, we don't We've know. We've been what, praying to it for years. Right. Well, <laughs> and it was here when we got there. We don't know how that happened. So we don't actually know who those Vikings might have encountered when they landed. For all we know, it could have been a race of people who were actual giants because there are actual giant bones scattered across America in burial sites. And sure, sure. The red-headed yeah. giants were certainly visible here, but they didn't say anything about a description other than that they were nasty, not large. They were nasty. <laughs> right. I get that. But in the Vikings case, it could have been that they said they were nasty and it's because they were crazy, giant. Cannibalistic. Exactly. It could have, we don't know. Now th that's all conjecture, but the point sure. is, the point is that the accepted history of this continent really isn't what it actually was because they're working off of facts that are not appropriate. Well, they've got some, they've got some um, um, carbon dating genetic testing proof of proof of the, uh, uh, the fact that it was essentially the same people we call the Vikings that uh, were over there. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I don't doubt that they landed and it, that exactly what you said happened. I'm just saying that when it comes to the history of what happened in mainland America, either north or south, we don't have any particular written records. And except in very specific places where there are some megalithic ruins and, you know, where the Aztecs were, where the Inca were, where the Mayans were, we really don't have a lot except for that sort of thing. And and then a lot of the people who are historians like to ignore some of the, some of what the native peoples actually say happened. So yeah, curious stuff. Yeah. But that, that I would point to anybody for a, uh, a large swath of more information that you'll have to pick through than you'll possibly get through in a lifetime is the, uh, the Graham Hancock uh, body of work. Of There's course. Plenty there that you can find a, a line to go down. Sure, sure. Now, and and with Grand Han Graham Hancock, you sort of have to, you sort of have to put out the caveat slash warning. You know, he's he too has his agenda as far as what he thinks is going on, and you have to be aware of it because there are some places where he's obviously wrong, and just isn't willing to deal with reality, like anything to do with the Great Flood. Assigning anything from the Great Flood to a biblical narrative he has trouble with, I believe. Well, the idea that there was a worldwide flood that covered the whole earth is something he isn't willing to contemplate as far as I knew. Yeah, I, I feel like that's going to be like the uh, Turing test with AI. They just keep moving the uh, goalpost as to what it takes to count as human or count as alive or count as passing the Turing test. What counts as the whole world being flooded? Okay, there were there peaks at some point was, you know, the entire known world where people were because people didn't go on top of frozen mountains to survive at the time. Right. All of the you, well, could, you could imagine all of the uh, the Tibetan temples going up in response to a flood and not having been there before. Well, sure. I, I understand what you're saying. I know I know what the Bible says. It says that all the peaks in the world were covered by the waters, which to me is pretty. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's you know, it's pretty definitive. It's what it says. And, and I tend to believe the Bible. I tend to just, I tend to default to taking it as true rather than believing what human beings have decided is more likely. 
I, I'm of the opinion that I would have a difficulty getting to such a fine point of verbiage out of an old language that didn't have the depth of uh, nuance that the English language does. Most languages just don't. Um, I would not be able to guarantee that no matter what I put on paper that humans 4,000 years later, 10, 13, 20,000 years later, however long it may be, two years later after I'm dead, I couldn't guarantee that they wouldn't change it from all the world to all the peeps. Well, and, and what I would say is that in this case, you're counting God out of the equation. The idea is whether the question is whether God preserves the meaning of his word as it's translated in, you know, um, in substantial content. And I think he does. So, and, you know, we could talk about that. That's a whole other subject. But anyway, you, we wanted to talk about America here. So, And it's supernatural progression, right? Because starting off, we've got um, sort of the precursor to America, um, all of the um, uh, religious work happening throughout the, uh, is it, would you call it the United Kingdom? Is it all of Italy, Spain, Europe? No, UK is just Britain. I see, I see. You would Part say Europe. All of Europe. So um, so as the religious impulse was kind of uh, working its way um, and not just being in Europe, but sitting in Europe and um, fermenting and becoming its own um, uh, loaf of bread, <laughs> right? becoming its own uh, uh, brand inversion and, and uh, guidance for what was appropriate for their area, they did kind of swath over and uh, name all of the, the lands, name all of the animals, if you will. Um, and so we have separate from the founders, separate from the senders, which would be the kings and queens, right? Because they're funding everything. You've got incentive structures being set up throughout um, the world that push towards something that creates an America as it stands with uh, leadership as it stood which created a constitution as it was, right? So it's all, seems like these were the people that were, that were, uh, happened to be, just happened to be, but never before and never since has it been. <laughs> so the supernatural flow of it is really amazing to me. So, so just to sort of re-encapsulate that, to make sure people understand what you're getting at, let me, let me try to say it back to you. What you're saying is that never since then and never before was there a group of people, as there was in Europe, in the nations of Europe, who set up a system of incentives that pushed people out into the unknown to explore things that otherwise wouldn't have been explored and to take them and to, to colonize them and to create uh, civilization in other places in the world. I don't even believe that they were set up at the time. I believe incentive structures were such that they were, um, um, they'd filled up. What's it called whenever you've got uh, as much salt as you can put into the water? Emulsed? emulsed. Sat no, saturated. Saturated. Yes. Saturated. So they'd saturated their, their location with the ideals that they held. They didn't right. understand how to go up or down or anywhere else. They were looking for what we call clout today. They were looking for notoriety. They were looking for something else to put their name on. Yeah. And so simultaneously their wickedness was pushing them with a positive light 
to stamp a positive light on a future that they couldn't join. Got they it. Were, they were yep. unintentionally assigned an, uh, a Moses task. He was not able to get to the promised land. Right, I gotcha. So they're, yeah. So, they so were, they yeah, were, they, were, they were given a task that they would never see time. the completion of, but that in carrying through, they created America, which the ideals of and the all of the things about it were sort of extraordinary in world history. Agreed, 100%. Right, right. so they, they, they did it based on the things they held high, even if they weren't reaching them themselves, so that their children could be on that. On their time. ideals, yeah. Based yeah, on their ideals, ideals. Which, which is the way to put it, right? It's like, ideals are the things that we believe are good and worth looking up to, but that we don't necessarily expect to reach ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> No, I've, that that's absolutely right. I, well, and and in case anybody who's listening to this hadn't figured it out, I have and Greg has a very positive uh, view of the ideals and the culture that birthed America, the the things that made Western civilization great, and it was great, and it has been great, are noteworthy and important and and you know there's a huge swath of our society today trying to tear those things down and i'm i'm not down with that i'm not for that well and there are people that would maybe go the route that would say that you are you are um a privileged being right you came from education and wealth and whatnot from this other place and you came into the place where another place where they were not as technologically advanced. They were not as educated. They didn't know as much, whatever. And then you used your guns and your opinions to, to wipe out those people. That's not possible. It's just not that is a non-factual impossible uh, assumption that, that happened. Those people came and fought tooth and nail and butt heads with nature for 200 years to, to eke out a place for their children to grow. It wasn't as if they, they may, may not have survived without their additional uh, uh, fortification before leaving their their wall, uh, their their gilded nest. But there's no denying that the ideals being followed in a butt-headed way for longer than one person being alive is what caused it to succeed, not sure. just the fact that they came from wealth. Well, and and the other thing that you have to that you have to take out here is, I, I guess I would say, this this sort of brings to my mind a conversation on Twitter the other day that I was watching. Um, there's a guy I'm following who was sort of butting heads with another person talking about how the the Europeans were nasty and and horrible and did this and that and. Um, <laughs> And he's like, yeah, well, you know, the Aztecs, uh, okay, it was a, it was a comparison of the Spanish Inquisition to the, uh, the, what the Aztecs did in the name of their religion. And he's, he's like, you know, you can say the Spanish Inquisition was horrible, but over the course of like 150 years, they killed a few thousand people. It wasn't that bad. It, it was 
you know, it was messed up for sure. There were bad things about it. But when it comes down to comparing it to many other things, it wasn't that bad. When you look at how many people, how many human sacrifices the Aztecs were committing every year, it, it, it at the high end, it may have been as many people as the Spanish Inquisition killed in its entire history over 150 years. Now that's at the high end, but the point is still valid that that the number of people who these a lot of these groups in America were actually killing it was a non-trivial number of their own people that they were murdering and sacrificing every year it's it's pretty horrible barbaric bloody stuff and so when you when you try to put moral values onto these things you have to decide, are you actually going to judge everybody? And if so, then you have to judge them all by the same standard. And if you're not, then butt the heck out and stop judging. I think they're, I think I'm a little bit more superstitious and uh, um, religious about this particular topic. I think that, that murder happens. Death happens. There's no good or evil to that. God does not care about death. You are reasonable. That this is important. Well, okay, I, I would go. I wouldn't go that far. I would say that that God does care, but that death is does not rise to the level that most people assign to it. How's that? Fair enough. The greater issue, yeah, is if you really look at Aztec societies, they had a caste system where those people that had their 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 sacrificial lambs, as they were, didn't come from the wealthy. They came from the lower castes. Right. And every time you end up with a caste system, God says no. Right? He's going to take your lowest level, pair them with someone from somewhere else, and they're going to overthrow you. Because God says that caste systems are not what I want. I want to be able to move someone from anywhere I want to anywhere I want. I don't know. You know, India's had a caste system for a very, very long time. So... Uh -huh. Well, and they were taken uh, over by every single single white man. One white guy walks into a whole country <laughs> and says, "Hey, poor people, you want to overthrow the assholes over there?" And then, <laughs> I mean, so, like, I can't argue with that. That kind of does has happened, hasn't it? So again, God does not like your caste system. Give everybody a chance, at least on the face of it. Otherwise, they will overthrow you. Well, you know, there's some truth in that. That's that's interesting. So more so than how Aztecs were treating one or the other, it's that when smallpox hit them and when yeah. uh, the Spanish Inquisition hit them, et cetera, they did not have cooperation. They had tyranny. Right. That's That's absolutely true. And that is a big reason why their system was so, um, so brittle. So, you know, so, so easy to overtake. Interesting. So you want to take a quick second? I'd love to fill up my coffee, and then I have one other thing about this that I'd love to just take spend a few minutes on. Absolutely, that's what I was about to say. We'll be back Thanks. in a minute. A second, coffee time. I'd like to take a moment to thank all the people that joined Modern Apocalypse. As many of you have seen, I'm an avid coffee drinker, and I've been drinking North Arrow Coffee for a couple of pounds now. You can find North Arrow Coffee at northarrowcoffee.co, all one word, where they list coffee of the month and how green coffee is handled. 
I've been enjoying some of the number four Honduras and some of the number 10 Peru available at northarrow.co. If you'd like to help support us even more, you can use discount code E6 for 10% off your copy order today. Thank you. Modern Apocrypha is brought to you by Bright Star, the forthcoming book by me, Jared Michaud, due to hit shelves April of 2024. For pre-release copies, head over to e6universe.com. Use the promo code Israel for 10% off with your order. And we're back. Welcome back, everyone. So, you wanted to talk about ideals. I wanted to talk about the American ideal. Um, what is it? We, we started this episode talking a little bit about how um, political advertisement might give us an idea or a window into what people thought were ideals of the time. And you might follow that through um, up until the creation of the New York Times when propaganda more likely came in to try to put, wag the dog to try to push the people around as opposed to try to uh, uh, mm. give the people what they were looking for. No, actually, if you look into the history of journalism and media in the U.S., um, it was a lot more, what would you say, back in the early days of the U.S., newspapers were sort of aligned with one side or the other openly, politically. So they there was no such thing as objectivity in journalism then, and Frankly, I think objectivity in journalism is a lie anyway, but the point is back then they didn't hold any such standards, so they would just espouse whatever views they held, and they'd just put them out there. They'd just say, this is the way it should be, and of course it's because we think so. It's like Thomas Paine's common sense, you know, the the <laughs> the polemics that these guys put out were not, they were not shy about saying what they thought. They were very virulently uh, violent verbally to each other about their <laughs> sexual habits, about their partners, about their, their inability their to stay. Their parentage, about anything you can think of. That they and, were, Yeah, anything that you could possibly say that was to bring down someone's character was certainly said. Well, and, and, you know, actually that's a really interesting contrast because at the time, these people had character that led them to uphold the institutions that they had created above their own political agendas, where today we're back to the point where we're saying nasty things about each other, but people don't uphold those political institutions. They don't value those highly anymore. Sure. That is certainly something that I... I think that the the people at the the very very uh, most elite are in such a bubble that they don't even get to hear the the case. They don't have a naysayer near them that gives them all all the sides. Well, you know, um, I don't know. There's a lot that goes into that. We could we could talk about that for a while. But the whole question of the dialectic, you know, the enemy influencing various subcultures in the country to push that subculture into the position to do what the enemy wants it to do. It's like a lot of people I know 20 years ago were talking about how journalists had to be just absolutely nasty people to be willing to publish the lies they were publishing. And I'm like, 
that's when I was in the journalism world was back about 20 years ago. And at the time I'm telling people, no, that's not what's going on. These people are, they just have their heads that far up their butts to where they don't even know what's true. They don't even see it. So, and I think that's kind of what you're saying about the political elites is that their subculture is so insular and so twisted that they don't actually understand what's really going on. And I think there's truth in that, but I also think that they don't care. So, well, sure, sure, sure. Well, and I think that that does tie into some of the things that um, we said were good things um, at the at the founding. You know, yeah. The, some of the ideals that I remember, um, without looking anything up and just kind of remembering the good things of America. Yeah. Uh, we don't lie. George Washington never told truth. Lie. Telling um, the truth. We uh, spoke frequently with the common man. We, we took to heart what the common man said as not just a stupid opinion, but another reality, another real thing to take into our psyche. Sure. Jordan. And yeah. and along those same lines, respecting other people's right to say what they're going to say, even if you hate what they're saying, was actually an ideal that people did live up to. And it's one that we, a certain portion of the American people still try to live up to and try to um, try to hold as important in a real way. And everybody gives lip service to or did or something. And I think that this one might also uh, lie in, in uh, parallel to the, uh, the parable of washing feet where the higher up on the, the totem pole of power you are, the lower the level of people you're serving your customer, your, your, your master, of what directs you for the uh, for where your next step will go would be the not on your level you don't exist to further your goals you exist to that's to certainly help. true yeah the the idea that that the people who you're supposed to be uh whose part you're supposed to be taking are the least among us mm -hmm. and that yeah. is that is certainly something that that i believe was trying to be said through the that that line about um, interacting with and, and taking to heart uh, what the common man would say and seeking it out right when you're at a party and you and you stop a, a, along the road in Plymouth town and, and talk to the common man who you can tell his shoes aren't as nice and ask him how his day was and what his difficulties are so that you can understand what all the difficulties might be it, it certainly lends itself to a broader um, understanding of of your uh second level second order effects of the actions that you take you know if i close off this river if i tear down this fence what happens yeah yeah i understand what you're saying it also completely um reinforces the fact that nobody is source matter expert for every perspective you can only be a source matter expert for those things that you have experience in yeah that's certainly true well, and, and, and I guess the other thing is, is trying to be a, a source matter expert for the things that you actually care about used to be important to people who had power in our society. Not so much yeah. now. Now it's, it's having the power that's important, but it used to be important to those people to, to actually understand what was going on and try to be doing something useful about it. The difference between... Um... Uh, what do you think and don't you think? <laughs> okay. Wouldn't you say, uh, we hear it a lot, 
don't, uh, wouldn't you say, don't you think? Well, no, don't put words in my mouth. How about you just say, what do you think? <laughs> yep. No argument. Are there any other um, uh, real big ones from the uh, sort of the Washington story founding uh, ideals that were? Oh, you know, the idea of God was a really a big deal back then. Um, people really did, whether it was lip service or not, you can you can argue about it. But our founders, most of them really were Christian men in some real sense. You know, you had your deists and people like to pull out the whole, oh, what about uh, what about the the Jefferson Bible? What about, you know, these people really weren't that Christian. They did this and they did that. And I'm like, you know what? That's crap, man. These people yeah, actually did hold, they really did hold God as being important. And the the whole Jefferson Bible thing was an exception, not a rule. And you trying to make a rule out of it doesn't work. The point is the, the people at the time really did see God as the creator of the universe as being the one they answered to. It's like, um, you know, the whole give me liberty and or give me death thing. You, you've heard that quote, right? Many times. Okay. Do you, do you know the context of the quote? An appeal to arms in the God of hosts is all that has left us, but we shall not fight our battle alone. There is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations. Is life so precious or peace so sweet as to be bought at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. That's Patrick Henry. Okay. So so that's that's just a little piece of his speech, but I memorized that when I was younger because I thought it was really inspiring. And it actually does sort of encapsulate some of the things they held as ideals. Freedom, liberty, real freedom to actually go do the things that you believe are important and a society that respects people's right to do that and builds people's ability to do that was something they held as being very, very important. <coughs> Excuse me. It's something I heard recently um, from an older podcast. The Weinstein, that's the physicist. I always get them mixed up. Um, uh -huh. Eric. Eric was going over um, the uh, Declaration of Independence, and it begins with, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Yeah. So, yes, freedom. Yes, freedom to move around once you've signed on to be a part of this project. And you don't get to do that no matter who you are, anywhere, everywhere. These are four Americans that are bought in to being American by following the Constitution. Yeah. Okay. Right. If you, if you, it says we hold these truths to be self-evident. If you don't, you're not included. Well, and and the other part of that is that their society really did hold those truths to be self-evident because their society was built on Christian ideals and Christian ideas, and the pinnacle of Christian ideas sort of comes to that point. So, you know, you can't you can't divorce that statement from the society in which it was uttered. And at the time that was the society. And then as people came to America, they were expected to integrate themselves into the society. It isn't like the, 
the crazy mess we've got going on now. It was a case of, and, and this has been true up until just recently in American history, where people who came into the country were expected to actually change their their worldview, their beliefs, their and integrate into the society that they had come into, into America. And that was why we were so successful for so long. Indeed. And certainly I'm not speaking towards immigration law. I think that that's uh, always going to be a, a moving target that is in the dialectic and people are going to take advantage of. Uh, something I, I would speak to in the people's mentality of the era um, would be the Salem witch trials, right? That, they, they were not Christian, and yet it was punishable by death to be of witchcraft. Not that that was true, not that they were actual witches, but the idea of being a witch was deadly. Deadly. Well, and, and maybe there were real witches. Maybe there weren't real witches. We, I, I don't want to actually... Sure. I don't want to go witches there. But the, but the point you're making is that the idea of witchcraft was held by the general society, whether they were Christian or not, to be a really bad thing and punishable by death. And that is actually true. It was. And and that's just because it was a Christian society at the time. And kind of with the intent that, that everybody joining would convert. And not that you would be a Protestant or Catholic or a particular vein of Christianity, but I don't know that they were looking for whatever, I'm not, I don't know, I'm sorry, I don't know the religious name of Native Americans. I don't know what, what the name of their religion would be. Well, whatever it is, but the point, the point you're making is valid, that the people who founded this country expected that those who wanted to be a part of their society would take on their ideals, and that's a valid, you know, that's a valid thing to expect in a society, and we've kind of lost that in the West. We sort of think we have to bend over backward and let everybody think you know, decide what's important and think what they want instead of going, you know, these things are important. And if you want to be part of our group, you need to believe them. In early American um, news sources and in, in the documentation that you can find, was there any exaltation of great wealth where the rich people exalted for being wealthy? You know, as far as I know, all human societies have held people up who had more wealth than others. You know, I think that what wealth was, what wealth they held was held differently. We had this many horses or, you know, whatever it was, it was measured differently. But I, I, I don't know of a human society where being wealthy hasn't been venerated to some degree i don't feel like it was venerated i feel like in order to be seen on some level you needed the wealth but once you were seen you needed to profess good morals you in in early american society you mean and and there i actually don't think that's correct the uh the stories I have read that were actually written around that time, and we have novels today that were written around that time, s sort of take for granted that that people who were wealthy were going to be more highly regarded. But the push of society was to get them to profess good morals. It just took for granted that they would be more highly regarded, which 
as I, th I say, I think that's just a natural part of the human condition. Interesting. And through the, uh, the process, wealth would have been measured, I believe, in acres and products, whether that's tobacco or, or cattle or whatever. Oh, for them, sure. You, you were saying Native Americans, and I'm like, well, yeah, they did too, but I didn't know why you were going there. But, but no, as far as the early Americans, the, the, yeah, that's definitely the case. What, well, and, and, you know, there was, there was still gold. Gold was the currency back then. And it, we, the world lived on a gold standard starting not too long after that, when we had a real social fabric that made up most of the world gold was the base currency. So, and, and it, it sort of was heading in that direction at the time, even though I don't know whether you could say that the world was on a gold standard at the time, just because they didn't have the ability to have a, a solid network of the world. It's interesting that we had so much more knowledge about the shape and the, the map of the world without very much of a uh, connected social network. You know, yeah, you know, there's so much that that came from times that are past our memory where we we still had knowledge. Like if you look, there are there are very, very old maps that show the shape of lots of the continents that technically hadn't been explored in in our memory now at the time, which shows that there was exploring that went on that map making did go on, but we just don't remember how it happened or what happened. Some people point at Atlantis, some people point at pre-flood civilizations, some people point at this and that, and I don't have any idea. Sure, sure. What other uh, founding ideals would you uh, throw out there here in our last few minutes of this podcast? Um, well, I guess are we talking in a historical context what they were or are we talking what I find important about the ideals that I would try to bring forward and instill in my kids' generation? Which, which where are we going here? Well, I suppose uh, the which ones um, are still most relevant would be the, the first place to go. I, I, anytime that uh, we've got something that's fallen completely off the wayside, I doubt we'd even find it. So if, we're, if it's shining through the years till now, it's likely of some relevance. Mm. Well, you know, for me, I, I always try, I, I always end up pointing this right back at Jesus, right? Because that's what matters. He sort of, his life and his ideals and his, um, his message were a big chunk of what formed Western society. They, they were sort of the base myth that all of this came from. And when I'm centered on that, I can point back to certain places in history, one of them being the founding of America as a place when those ideals really came to full flower. And I don't, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of people lately who are denigrating the American founders because they were Freemasons and they were this and they were that, and they were under the influence of the enemy here and there. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe that's the case. That's been the case all down through history. The, the rulers of this world, the principalities that are in charge of this world are still the same beings that they were 2000 years ago and 4,000 years ago. But the people who were alive at the time of the American founding did hold ideals 
and their society was was at a higher level in ideals that it forced them all to a higher level of ideals than we have today. And if I could tell my kids, this is the sort of society that you would want to aim for because the ideals that they held don't tell lies. Look to the people who are weaker than you and look to their well-being. And, you know, all of the things that go along with this don't oppress people. It's like the whole slavery issue. Well, yeah, you know, a lot of the founders knew that that was an issue and it was one that they couldn't tackle at the time because they had a different kettle of fish to fry. And so it wound up getting tackled a hundred years later. And well, not even a hundred, but it, it wound up getting tackled in the next generation or so. And yeah, it was a big deal, but guess what? A whole bunch of people died to get slavery out of our society. And Western society is the only society in the history of the world to actually get rid of slavery, as far as I know. As far as I know, yeah. Um, and that would just be quite simply the, uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Yeah. Yeah, that was the ideal that they set forth in the founding documents, and it took almost a hundred years for that to be actually put into practice when it came to slavery, but it was. And despite every single newspaper and every politician ripping each other's hair out and talking about how terrible their daughters were and, and how beautiful they thought goats were, you know, and yeah, yeah, yeah. to each other, all of them, every single man that signed the paper, every founder believed that we were all created in the eyes of our creator, you know. Well, they were willing to sign their name to it anyway. You know, what was in their hearts isn't something that we can judge, but but we can say they were willing to sign their name to the document that said it. Well, yeah, I would say that they all believed it. It was literally a death sentence. They, they, they still stuck, uh, staked, stuck, staked their Stake. life on it. Yeah, they did. They, it was their, their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. And, you know, those are the sorts of ideals that, <laughs> that we have, well, we as human really nasty enemies, they were, they were staking their bloodline and all of their children as well. Oh, sure. Sure. There were, there were some, yeah, the stakes were not low and, you know, pointing, pointing back to those sorts of things, I think is very honorable. There, there are people who, despite their imperfections, are heroic and were heroes. And, and pointing back to them as examples of who we should be is a good thing. Absolutely. That seems like a pretty good place to put a pin in it. That seems like a good, good spot to, uh, to stop for now. I'll see everyone here uh, on the next episode. All right. We'll catch you later. Thanks, everyone.